Hallelujah. Even the old and worn out. I'm thankful for that. Thank you, Sister Raylan. I'm thankful for the work she's done as an intern. And uh, with our close proximity to Urshan, we usually uh, have one or two each year. that They, they have to do an intern uh, with a ministry in order to graduate. And we're thankful we have. We've also been having uh, Easton Courtney. Where is, he, where is he at? There you are. Sitting a little bit different. But we're glad you're here. He has been a right-hand man to myself and also to Brother Lee and uh, learning that uh, ministry and, and especially pastoral ministry honestly has very little to do with the pulpit. It has a whole lot to do with other stuff. And uh, he's just stepped in. And we are going to hear him behind the pulpit uh, pretty soon. And we're thankful for that work for both of our interns. Hallelujah. There are 52 weeks in a year. We now have basically one Sunday service a week. Um, we very rarely cancel one now. So that means in a, in, a, in a year, there's a potential of 52 sermons for the whole church. Now, I'm going to be pastoral today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meddle today. While I say the whole church, it's because I know what our attendance is on Sundays. And I know what our attendance is on Wednesdays. Now, we have good attendance. When you compare it to other churches, we're doing pretty good on Wednesday night. But that's not the whole church, just FYI. And so... Uh, if I do all my teaching on Wednesdays, I miss an opportunity to preach and teach to the whole church. And so because we have other people that preach on Sundays and we have other ministers and guest speakers, that, that gets even more compressed. And I'm thankful for the services we've been having these last couple of Sundays. Two Sundays ago, power of God was here, mighty move of God. We just kind of pivoted, and I preached salvation, and we had one baptized. There's some more that are talking about it. Thankful for that. And then last Sunday, our evangelist, Brother Blaine Muse, did a phenomenal job. Thankful for your response to the Word of God. And we, we baptized another one. And again, thankful for that. But today, I want to I wanna be pastor. And I want to, don't, don't get scared, I'm not going to step on your toes too hard, but I do think every once in a while we just got to kind of get to the Word and say, what does the Word say, and, and direction, and, and vision, and understanding. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Numbers chapter 4, verse 1, and Numbers chapter 7, and verse 9. Numbers chapter 4, we're going to read 1 through 6, Numbers chapter 7, reading in verse 9. I'm not, I'm, I'm well aware of my audience. I know what's going on. I don't know that you're going to shout today. I don't know that we're going to run the aisles. And I mean, God can fill anybody with the Holy Ghost at any point, but that's not the purpose here. But what I want you to catch with everything that is said and preached, I want you to see it with the understanding of this is all about revival. I want God to keep doing what he's doing around Lighthouse. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but God's doing some pretty awesome things in our church and in our community. I, Y'all be seated for a second. Sorry, I'm going I'm to just uh, set a meddling. Last Monday, no, not last Monday, two Mondays ago, uh, we did a, a what's called a pop-up patrol with the police department. I don't, think, I don't think I've seen you since then, and if I have, and I've already said this, forgive me. I've been ministering the last week, my family and I, to children. 
And I having a hard time turning my brain off of coming up here and leading y'all in Tony Chestnut songs and Father Abraham and, and doing all the crazy things we do in our children's ministry. So I'm trying to just pivot and get back to pastoring. But uh, two, two Mondays ago, we did a pop-up patrol in, in uh, one of these, these apartment complexes. And what we do, the police department goes, they put up a tent, and it, we've got a, a picture booth, and we give out free stuff, and we give out popsicles. And it's a way for the police department to be inserted in the community in a positive way. You know, instead of, like, pulling you over because you were speeding, we're going to hand you a popsicle and say, we, we're glad you're here, and it gives us a good... And they've asked our, our chaplains to be a, a major part to that, and so we've been out there. We've done a couple of them this, this year. And so I'm out there, and, and really, I didn't want to be there. It was, it was... I had a lot that two weeks ago, and, and, and uh, I, there was a bazillion things I could have been doing except for that. But I went, and I'm sitting there. This lady's talking to us. And I can see across the, the street, it, it appears to be her husband is over there. And um, he, he hasn't come over. And, and so finally he comes over and he is, uh, he, he, from what I gather, he's oriental. He bows as, as is typical, their custom. He comes over, shakes our hand, he thanks the police department for what they're doing. And, um, and as he walks by, this lady goes, that's my husband, Richard. And something clicked in my mind. And I said, you're Richard Kang. And I said, you have a son named Dan Kang. And he looked at me really funny. Because usually when police ask those kind of questions, there's another way they're headed. And he looked at me funny for a minute. And I said, because probably 10 or 11 years ago, I used to come and sit in your uh, living room and teach you a Bible study in Korean. I would teach it in English and your son Dan would translate it into Korean. And he, he, he stopped, and all of a sudden he began to smile, and he said, you're Pastor Buford. And, and we, we had lost track of them. They had some, some, some things that had happened, and, and life took its toll, and I had no idea where they went. My dad ended, I remember my dad did a funeral for one of their children that had died kind of unexpectedly. But God had a way of just on a random Monday night connecting us. All that week, all this week, back and forth, communicating, saying, when I get back, we're going to start those Bible studies again. Can I tell you that God is doing some amazing things in Lighthouse? And I go all across, we've been blessed, my wife and I are blessed, and I, I, I hope that I don't ever um, uh, shortchange this church that I love so much, but God has given my wife and I an opportunity to travel and to preach and to minister, and everywhere I go, I say this, God's doing something at Lighthouse. We've got a revival in our hyphen college age students. We, we're seeing God move, there's signs and wonders and miracles, and then I'll make the statement. I hope I don't mess it up. You know one of the hardest burdens to carry is when the church is moving and it's got momentum and you're just sitting there as the leader, as the CEO, as the pastor saying, God, please don't let me mess this up. Whatever you're doing, whatever direction you've got, don't let me mess this up. I want to preach you today the easiest way. It's not my title, but I want to preach today a, a, an understanding so that we don't mess this up. All right, now you can stand and we'll read. 
Numbers, Numbers chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Koath from among the sons of Levi, from their clans and their father's house, from 30 years up to 50 years old, all who can come to duty and do the work in the tent of meeting. And this is the service of the sons of Koath in the tent of the meeting, the most holy things. When the camp is to set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on a covering of goat's skin and spread on top of that a cloth of all blue and shall put in its poles. And then they'll, over the table of bread of presents, they'll spread a cloth of blue and put it on plates. Turn to uh, uh, Numbers chapter 9, or 7, uh, Numbers chapter 7, verse 9. Romans 7, Romans, it'll get to me again. I'm, I'm, I'm moving slow today. Numbers chapter 7, verse 9. And to the sons of Kohath, Gave he none. You'd have to look a couple verses. He's divvying up and he's saying, man, you get this many wagons and you get this many wagons. But to the sons of Koath, he gave none because they were charged with the service of holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. I want to preach to you this morning in step. Lord, I love you and I'm thankful for what you have done and what you are continuing to do in this incredible church and congregation. And Lord, I pray right now that what you have put in my heart over these last few weeks, you will let me minister and speak it back as you've given me. Let us hear the word. Let us do the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And you can be seated. January 16th of this year, 2022, I preached a message entitled, The Proper Way into God's Presence. We looked at the story. We looked at the account of Yuza, the one who just it seemingly so innocently reached out when the ark was on a cart and it was jostled and it looked like the ark was going to fall. And Yuza reached out to steady the ark and God took his life. We looked at that long process that happened after that of how David finally got the ark that had been stolen by the Philistines and then returned and then locked away and kind of mothballed for a while. And we looked at that long process of getting the ark, the symbolic presence of God, back to Jerusalem. This morning in our text, we see that as God began to divvy up the duties of the tribe of Levi, who were the priestly tribe, he came to the, the clan, if you will, the family of the Kohites, and he said, here's what I want you to do. This is what's going to happen. Every time we are going to move, you're going to walk in there, Aaron and the sons, that's the high priest. You're going to walk into the tabernacle. You're going to take down that veil that screens the, the, the first part of the tabernacle from the holiest of holies where the Ark of the Covenant would be. You're going to take down that screen and you're going to wrap the Ark because you were not allowed to look at the Ark uh, unless you were a high priest. And so they would wrap the Ark in that veil and there then they would put upon that a covering of goat skin, upon that a covering of blue. They would slide the poles in that Ark of the Covenant. Everybody know what I'm talking about, Ark of the Covenant. Think, if you're carnal, think Indiana Jones. If you're not carnal, think spiritually and think of the Ark of the Covenant. They'd slide those poles in, it was covered, and then they would carry that on the shoulders. They were not allowed to put that 
onto any other mode of transportation save their shoulders. A few weeks ago, I was reading this just in my daily Bible reading, and I, 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 when I read the Bible, I've prayed, and I really have. I've prayed and I've tried to train myself to read the Bible not just as a series of words that I finish, but as I read it, to, to see it come to life, to, to try to envision what it's saying and what it's doing. And there was a picture that fixated in my mind that was of the priests carrying the ark. Now, we don't really know how they carried it. My assumption, and I'm pretty confident everybody else's assumption, is that when the poles were in the ark, it took at least probably four people, maybe six, but I think it was four priests, and they would hoist that thing up, and they would carry it on their shoulders, two in front, two in the back. This ark of the covenant, 45 inches long, that's three and three-quarters feet long, 27 inches high, two and three-quarters feet high, 27 inches wide, two and three quarters feet wide. It wasn't a big thing made of acacia wood wrapped in gold leaf. The top of it was a solid gold top to uh, uh, cherubims, to angels that would stretch over that. Their wings would, would touch I've looked at a lot of things. There were tablets inside the Ten Commandments. Most likely there was a pot of manna and maybe even Aaron's rod, although there's some discrepancy that might have just been on the outside when they would stop. We're not 100% sure. I've tried. I've studied. The best I can find out is that would have weighed somewhere between 200 and 300 pounds for this golden box wrapped and covered and those priests carrying the ark. And there, I, I, I see them again. We don't know for sure, but I see those four men carrying. And this picture stuck in my mind, watching them. I, I could see them, that symbolic presence of God that's with them. And if you read the accounts and numbers and Exodus and Deuteronomy, you know that every time the children of Israel got ready to go somewhere, the ark was in front. The ark led them. The ark carried the way. It was the first into the Jordan River before it opened up. Miles and miles of walking and I, I, I wish I would have taken some time to try to figure out maybe how many miles they actually walked. But again, miles and miles of walking for years and years they would travel four men carrying an ark. Now, carrying an ark, I'm pretty confident, was not necessarily easy. This is a morbid illustration, but it's the best I can do and use to visualize what I'm trying to say. Have you ever been a pallbearer? Or have you ever seen a pallbearer? You have a casket, a box. Six to eight men will pick it up. I guess women can do it too. They'll pick it up. And, and again, I'm not trying to make fun. I'm not trying to bring back any bad memories. But I want you to catch this, this vision because it's usually six or eight men that have never really worked together. And they pick it up, and then they walk. Because you know how hard it is to walk and carry a load and not step on the feet, the person in front of you? And again, this is just how my mind works. Your mind's perfect. Your mind doesn't do things like this. This is how my mind works because I've carried enough of those caskets. I've carried enough pieces of, of plywood. I've carried enough loads with other people to know it's not easy carrying it with somebody else. 
Add in a little, add stairs. Take a casket downstairs. It's very difficult. Or, or, or take a piece of furniture. For those of you who don't want me to be morbid, take a piece of furniture. Go pick up a, a, not, not a normal couch, but like one of them sleeper sofa couches. Better yet, go pick up a piano. And, and watch how you move. And then I, again, I, I go back to the picture of, those, of those, those priests carrying that ark. For days and miles and, and, and years they carry that ark. And I don't find any uh, uh, record of that ark tumbling. I don't find any record. They went up hills and down hills and through streams and across rivers. And they went everywhere. And they had to learn if we're going to carry the presence of God, we have to have a focus and a unity of motion We've got to march in step with one another. Marching in step, the best way for you to see if you've ever seen a military on parade. Every step the same. Every, every footfall is exactly the same. To be in step is to walk in concert. To be in step is to be in unity. Again, America, we don't do it a ton, but if you go look at, at like North Korea when they have their parades or the Chinese army when they have their parades, man, they are perfectly in line and they have to make sure they don't step on the, the, the heels of the one in front of them. They have to all go the same speed and they have to be the same distance. They're marching in step. When you march in step, there is a unity that begins to occur. In fact, did you know that marching soldiers will break cadence, meaning they will not march in unison. They will not march in step when they cross a bridge. And, and uh, if so, and, and it's been proven, and I, I've seen some of it, if you march in step, that constant footfall, it begins to create a wave that will go through a bridge, and it could uh, be potentially destructive to the structure of that bridge if they march in unison. And so they will tell them, break step. I remember, Brother uh, Brianne and I, Sister Beaver and I, we were at... at because of the times, it's been years and years and years ago, and I remember Brother Anthony Mangan at POA, Pentecostals of Alexander, he, he said they had to close their balcony for a while because they, they had found cracks in the balcony. And so they, they got a hold of some architects and they got a hold of some engineers and here's what they found. They found that when Pentecostal people get involved in a worship service, we all start kind of bouncing the same way and we all start swaying the same way and we all start clapping and that, that, that balcony was bouncing in a, a unified manner and it caused cracks in that balcony. I don't know what they did to fix it because they've still got a balcony and they still go crazy. I remember Sister Buford and I, again, been a few years ago, we went to the Fox, and there, uh, one of the Hillsong groups, one of the worship groups was going to have a worship concert, and so Sister Buford and I and two of our dear friends, uh, Brother Tom and Sister Kelly Middleton, we went to that Hillsong worship con con uh, uh, concert, and we were on the first row of the mezzanine, one of the balconies. It's really cool. If you've never been to the Fox, it's an amazing place probably wasn't designed to be a church because you have unclothed statues of Byzantine, you know, uh, 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 art up there. But, you know, we worship God anyway. You just keep your eyes down here. 
And I'm sitting up there, and Brother Hundley, I started getting seasick because I realized we're on the edge. That balcony, and this is as true as I've ever been, that balcony was moving over a foot. You know why? Because there was a whole bunch of Christians, and they were playing, and they were going. And, and I remember, I literally sat down and I said, we're going to die. We're going to die in the middle of a Hillsong concert and the news is going to say hundreds dead in a worship concert. But it was because people were moving in unison and when you move in unison, things move. So it is to be in step. It's a powerful thing. Unity is a powerful thing. The Tower of Babel, the, the, besides the fact that they had disobeyed God's commandment that he gave to Noah and his family to go disperse through the earth and be fruitful and multiply. But, but the fact that, that got God's attention is because they all gathered in one place and they had one mind and they were in one accord and they were going to build this incredible ziggurat or, 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 or pyramid, whatever it may have been. And God said, as long as they put their mind to it, They'll accomplish it. So God went down and God confused their languages and they scattered. But God made a point. He said even in their unity they can do things that would be not good. But their unity has a a purpose. Not only were they unified at the Tower of Babel, but then I get to Acts chapter 2. And I've quoted it so many times. But it says when it was fully come they were all, emphasis all, there in one place. In one accord, in one mind, they were unified. And when you get together, there was a revival that fell. And so we love to, sh- to celebrate that unity. We love to celebrate that unitedness. But I want to back you up a verse or two. Because here you have this incredible moment of God's revival going forth because there was 120 of them in an upper room, in one mind, in one accord. But if you would go back two verses, maybe three, you would find in the end part of Acts chapter 1, verse 21, that Peter gets around and they begin to say, you know, we've got an issue We had 12 disciples. God called 12 disciples. One of them has failed. One of them, uh, Judas, has betrayed Christ. And he went out and he hung himself. And and, and we need 12 disciples. There's some eschatological understanding of why the number 12 is important. It represents the 12 tribes. And you need 12 apostles. So they said, "Let's, let's find us some people who have been with us from the beginning. Go, go read uh, Acts one twenty one. Find those who have been with us from the time of John the Baptist's baptism until now. They looked and they found two men. They found Matthias and they found Justice or Joseph. And there, and, and we don't really do it anymore, and I don't think we need to do it, but there they, they cast lots. They drew straws, however you want to envision that. They drew straws. And one was elected, Matthias. He became numbered with the apostles. But with the one who won, one lost. And then the very next verse, and they were all there in one accord 
and one mind. And I get this understanding of, of justice sitting there. And if he does what all too many do in this world today, he'd have had his arms folded and said, well, I can't believe I didn't get elected. I'm not going to do anything. No. He said, I'm part of something bigger. And I'm going to march in step even if my way isn't done. I'm going to march in step because there's a picture. There is a vision. There is a purpose greater than what I am. I believe, and I'm, I lean to our great and esteemed ministers, and y'all may know more, but as best I can tell, after Acts chapter 1 and maybe Acts chapter 2, I don't see any other disciple mentioned by name in the book of Acts except Peter and John. So I want you to find it. I've looked and, and I've, I've read some commentaries that, that say the same thing, and maybe I'm wrong, and if I am, forgive me, but as far as I can tell, the rest of the, the, the Bible, or the rest of, of the, um, the book of Acts, you don't hear about these apostles. And you for sure never hear the word Matthias or Justice ever again. But they're part of the bigger picture. It's the unity of the church. Let me, let me just give you something real quick. If you want revival, if you want to, to the presence of God in your life, there's two things you got to learn to do. Number one, you better walk in step with Jesus Christ. We just got done in, in hyphen class today, the first half of Romans 8. The Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And the first four verses will repeat it. Those who walk after the Spirit. If you want the presence of God in your life, if you want the presence of God in your church, then we've got to learn to walk in the Spirit. Where is He leading? Where is He going to take me? This morning, what am I going to do? Can I tell you, if you walk with Him in the Spirit, He'll lead you to a pop-up patrol on a Monday when you didn't want to go, and He'll introduce you to somebody you taught a Bible study to tw uh, uh, 10 or 11 years ago, but it was because I was walking in the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit, you'll go to work, and you'll hear things like, like somebody say, man, I was reading the Bible, and all of a sudden God's going to go ding, 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 and he's telling you, walk in the Spirit, I'm giving you an opening. If we walk in the Spirit, things like what happened here, where we begin to pray one for another, and miracles and signs and wonders begin to occur, if you walk in the Spirit. I think we got that part pretty good, and I think we're learning to do it even more. But the second and still as important is we also have to learn to walk in step with our brother and our sister. Can I help you out? That's just as important as walking in step with the Spirit. Why? Jesus said the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And on those two hang everything else. If you weren't here a couple Wednesday nights ago when I preached like, like uh, 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 Mr. Rogers, you need to go listen to it. Talking about what does it mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean to be a neighbor. It's Psalms 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers or sisters, if you so, will dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil of the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down the, co the collar of his robes. It's, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, has all sorts of divisions in the church. I'm so thankful we're not quite as bad as the Corinthian church. 
We might have some difficulties every once in a while. We might not uh, do everything we ought to do, but at least, if I can be like a Pharisee, at least I'm not like them. I'm running out of time, but I would invite you to go read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when Paul is trying to talk to them, and he's saying, you're saying, well, I'm of Apollos because Apollos baptized me, and I'm of Paul because Paul baptized me, and they got all these little divisions going on. He says, no, here it is. There's only one God, and God is the one. You may plant and you may water, but at the end of the day, if you want revival, it's only going to come because God gives that revival. It's only going to come because there's a God who's taking care of what we're watering and what we're planting. We are God's field. We are God's building. We are God's fellow workers. He'll go on to say, and I I invite you, he says, but I I want you to, to take care because God lays the foundation, but take care how you build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. This isn't my church. I've pastored it 14 years, but this is not my church. I'm not building on a foundation of Brandon Paul Buford. I'm building on a foundation that started in 1963 when there was a minister, Brother Gilbert, that came out to O'Fallon and said, I'm going to preach one God apostolic tongue-talking Holy Ghost role. I'm going to preach, and I'm still building on that foundation of Jesus Christ. He says, be careful how you build, and, and, and in that, we also have this part. Don't you know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God dwells in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, temple, God will destroy him. Too many times we use that in holiness, but can I tell you it also is used in unity. If we start destroying God's temple, who's this temple? You are and you are and you are and you are. And so it is. We are a building fit together, fitly framed together. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 with me, if you will. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm urging you to walk in the manner which you're called. Walk with humility. Walk with gentleness, with patience. Bear one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit. You're called to one hope. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And then verse 13 goes on to say, until we attain that unity. Oh, he'll give apostles, he'll give prophets, he'll give evangelists, he'll give shepherds and teachers. Why do we have all of those? What we call the the offices of the church. Why do we have that? Here's why we have it. To build up the body of Christ and to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's why the church exists, because we've been called with a purpose. We've got many members, but one body. I've got two eyes and two ears and one nose and one mouth. I've got ten toes and ten fingers, and and there are things and separations like that, but all of them work together. So it is that we, we see that I... Uh, Jesus only has one body. Let me help you out with this. Jesus only has one body, and I'm a part of it. Lighthouse is not the church. Lighthouse is part of the church. This 8759 is just one place that the church meets. The church is a lot bigger than these four walls. We're part of the body of Christ. And so I don't have the ability, just as he said in another place, the eye doesn't have the ability to say to the thumb, I don't need you. 
Lighthouse doesn't have the ability to say to any other body of Christ, well, we're better than you. Oh, no. We're having revival right now. I'm thankful for that. But I'm also going to celebrate when other churches have revival. And I'm going to mourn when other churches are facing difficulty. And I'm so thankful for this church and the way you gave to uh, the church that that burned a a little bit ago. If I'm not mistaken, what what was it, Sister uh, uh, Danielle? I think it was $2,600 at least that this church has given that church. I'm thankful for that. Why? Because you're the body. You've got to be in step. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you. Again, you know this. What does the Greek and Hebrew mean when we say the word all? It means all. Finally, all of you have the unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or revilings for revilings, but on the contrary, blessed. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. It's Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14 when it begins to say, and I'm, I'm turning there, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another. If you have a complaint against one another, forgive each other as the Lord forgives you. And above all of this, put on love. I want to read that. Do you you have that, brother? Is that brother uh, Andy back there? Put up Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. Colossians 3, 14. I want you to hear this, and I'm trying to wind down. Above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. A chord usually contains three notes. It can have more. Just give me just a a chord, Sister Cindy. A chord. It sounds good. It's harmony. It's three distinct notes. Unity is not conformity. Unity is not a clone. We don't all have to be the same person. I'm thankful that you're not like me, and I'm really thankful I ain't like you. But you can take those three notes, and if you play them together, it's harmony. But if you play three notes that ought not be played together, turn it up really loud, Brother Tim. Hit it again. It doesn't work. It's disharmony. Some of you, if she keeps doing that, your eyelid's going to twitch and your ears are going to burn. But can I help you out for just a moment? As a pastor, if I ever hear someone be disharmonious, if I ever hear someone make fun of somebody else, if I ever hear somebody that doesn't walk in step, this is what I hear. And so it is that I'm asking you today, I'm praying, I want revival. And the greatest attack that the enemy could ever give is not for you to sin. It's not for you to go do something crazy. The greatest weapon that the enemy has is disunity. Now listen up, I'm not not trying to speak prophetically. I'm not... The reason we are having what we're having right now is because there is an incredible unity within Lighthouse. 
that there is a, a hunger. You come. I mean, just look. We're filling up the church, and, and, and we've got guests and loved ones that are coming, and we are walking in step. But I just know that the devil doesn't like the direction that Lighthouse is going. The devil doesn't like the fact that we come to church and lift up holy hands. And there are people that are praying one for another. And so if the enemy ever could, he would give disunity and he would derail that revival. If I go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Walk in step. 1 Corinthians 13. I spoke on it often and a lot in my Won't You Be My Neighbor sermon. Love is. There's eight things that love is, and there's eight things that love ain't. Love is patient, love is kind, love rejoices in truth. Love protects, love trusts, love hopes, love perseveres, and love never fails. You ought to put those on sticky notes all around the mirror you brush your teeth in so that every morning you get up and you say love is patient, love is kind love rejoices in truth love protects, love trusts love hopes, love perseveres and love never fails. And then on the other side of the mirror put eight things love ain't. Eight things love doesn't do. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. Love isn't prideful. Love isn't rude. Love isn't self-seeking. Love isn't anger. Love doesn't hold grudges. And love doesn't delight in evil. Those priests carry the ark. Each step on purpose. And if they ever got out of step, they would have tripped up on each other. They would have stumbled. They would have fallen. And can you imagine what it would have been like if the ark of God would have went tumbling down the hill? But no. They learned to walk in step. If I could, and I'm going to invite you to stand, I'd go back to Rome, or, or rather, I'd go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love. And I want you to listen very carefully because I am well aware that y'all are not ready to just come piling into the altar run the aisles but what I'm about to say is powerful and it's not because I said it it's because the word of God said it the mark of a church in revival is not how many people got the Holy Ghost on Sunday the mark of a church in revival is not measured by how many spiritual gifts were in action on any given service. The mark of a church in revival is not how many tongues were given or interpretations were given. It's not how many healings were measured. I told you I was going to meddle. Here it is. The mark of a church in revival is measured by your Facebook posts, your Instagram posts, your social media posts. It's measured with your conversations you have one for another. It's measured by the conversations you have with your friends speaking against somebody else. It's measured with how much you love. Did you hear me? The mark of revival is not how many got the Holy Ghost. 
It's measured by 1 Corinthians 13. Do I love? And so I ask you this question. Are you in harmony? Are you in discord? Discord meaning when they play the wrong notes in the wrong spots in the wrong places. Now hopefully, and I I do pray, and I, I pray with everything within me because again, this church is obviously in a spirit of unity. We're seeing that in our churches. But I'm also well aware that sometimes we can get out of unity. We can get in discord. And so it is, part of this message is a just a warning to say, Lord, I don't want to mess this up. I'm thankful for what we have. I don't want to see a church get to a place where we stop seeing that those signs and wonders and miracles. I want every service there to be what happened today where we pray one for another. I want our altars filled. I, I want that. So part of this is just the understanding of someone who's walked a few roads and realizes that the enemy, if he could, he'd love to mess this up. And the easiest way he messes it up is so discord. So part of it is a warning. But there's a secondary part. If you're here today and you're in discord, if you're here today and you have gotten out of step with the body of Christ, Paul says it this way, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with your brother and your sister and get in step walking one with another because we're greater than just these four walls we're part of a massive kingdom of God would you close your eyes and let me pray over you for a moment Father I don't even know that I can say how thankful I am for this church how thankful I am for what you've allowed us to see. These last couple of years have just blown my mind as you've allowed this church to sell a building, purchase a building, and remodel it. Now we have church in this incredible structure. And not only that, Lord, but, but, but while we were building a physical building, you have been building a spiritual building in this congregation. Lord, I'm seeing maturity in congregants that I've never seen before and unity and Lord, I, I see it in all of our departments and I'm thankful for that and I'm thankful that we're experiencing this revival. It just, it's outstanding but God, I just know that there's an enemy that would like to do everything he can to disrupt and to, to, to cause discord to come. And so Lord, I'm praying as a watchman on the wall speaking as a shepherd that sits on the hill and sees an entire flock and may can see things that most people will never see. Lord, I just know that if we ever get out of step, we're going to lose what we're experiencing right now. And so I pray a prayer of warning to this congregation to be careful, to guard, to make sure we don't just love you with all our heart, but we love one another with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And even in disagreements, Lord, we still love. Because love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't boast, love covers a multitude of 
infractions. Lord, don't let me ever get so self-serving that I see this as my church or my people or my property or my group or my ministry. Because love is not self-seeking. But Lord, I pray right now over this congregation that they would continue to walk in your presence, continue to walk in your peace. Lord, if something said today touches a nerve, If something said today allows someone to see, hey, I've walked in disunity. Lord, we follow your word. Yes, forgive us, God. But also we lay our gift at the altar. And we go and we make it right with our brother. So that we can stay in step with this revival that you have so bestowed upon Lighthouse. You have blessed us more than we could ever imagine. You're blessing homes. You're blessing families. You're blessing ministries. You're blessing our departments. You're blessing our church. And you're blessing this community. And we determine in our hearts. And we determine in our spirits. We will not mess this up. We stay in step with you. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I don't know how you want to end it. You got a song? Would y'all just begin to sing? I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take a moment around this front. Just Brandon Buford, put the mic down. And I'm going to make sure I heard what the word of God said. If you need to leave, you're more than welcome to leave. But I want you to take what this pastor said in Jesus' name.